you got a favourite love song, uh, let's face it, there's a heap of them to choose from, isn't there? Thousands upon thousands of love songs are out there, but if you've got a favourite one, uh, the New York Daily News did a survey. They reckon that the world's favourite love song is My Girl by The Temptations. Not sure about that. Uh, the biggest selling love song of all time, if that's anything to go by, that's an old Elvis Presley song, uh, Now or Never. Anyone heard that one? Uh, Sue and I, Sue and I have a bit of a soft spot for the Billy Joel song, Just the Way You Are. Uh, that was released when we just started going out. It sort of became our song and we still get a bit mushy whenever we hear it, much to our kids' disgust. Uh, but what about you? Have you got a favourite love song? Now, friends, in our series uh, over the next few weeks as we look at Song of Songs, what we're effectively going to be looking at is God's favourite love song. The name itself tells us that. Very first verse, Solomon's Song of Songs. So, humanly speaking, Song of Songs is attributed to King Solomon. That's important. File that one away. We're going to come back to that in a couple of weeks. However, Song of Songs, it's also scripture, isn't it? It's part of our Bible. Uh, This is also very much God's Song of Songs. And that's a very Hebrew way of thinking. It's like Holy of Holies, which means Most Holy. Or King of Kings, Lord of Lords, which means the best king, the best lord. Song of Songs means the best song. And because, as we will discover, this is a song all about love, what we are looking at in this series is, according to God, the best love song, the greatest love song, the ultimate love song. This is the love song to end all love songs. For this is a song in which God will give us profound insights into the very nature of love. And you can especially see this in our opening section this morning, a section which introduces us to two lovers and a section which allows us to listen in as these two lovers firstly express their desire for each other. Verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Now, notice the words, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Uh, It's pretty obvious that it's a girl that's speaking there. And that's why the NIV, if you've got an NIV, which most of us have, that's why you've got that word beloved in italics just before the verse. That's not part of the original text. It's been put in there by the translations to help us follow what's going on. Whenever you see that word beloved in italics, that's the NIV telling you that they reckon it's the girl who's speaking. Whenever you see lover in italics, that's the NIV telling you that they reckon it's the man who's speaking. If you've got an ESV Bible, they use he and she. Now, call me romantic, but that's a bit clinical. I prefer lover and beloved. Uh, That fits the mood of the song. But just be aware, it's not part of the original. It's been added to help us follow what's going on. And what's going on in verse 2 is that the girl is speaking and she's speaking of her desire for her lover. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your, your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. That is his bedroom chambers. Now that's a pretty strong start to a love song. It's effectively saying, kiss me on the mouth and take me to bed. I want to make love with you. And this is the girl talking. 
Hardly a stereotypical, you know, not tonight, dear, I've got a headache. Kiss me on the mouth. I crave you. Take me to bed. Hurry. Look at how this section ends. Skip ahead. Look at verses uh, 3 in chapter 2. The girl is again speaking. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade. His fruit is sweet to my taste. He has taken me to the banquet hall and his banner over me is love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. That last verse uh, pictures our two lovers lying in each other's arms. And in verse 5, she is either saying that she desires him so much that it makes her feel a bit lightheaded, or else I suspect more likely what she's probably saying is that they have made love together so that she is now almost physically exhausted from it. And so now they lie embracing one another, refreshing each other with raisins and slices of apple. In the ancient Near East, those foods are believed to be aphrodisiacs. People would eat them to get their sexual energy back. And so the movement of this first section is that it opens with a passionate longing to make love and it closes with the ecstatic exhaustion that comes from having made love. It's a pretty full-on love song. I'm thinking there's going to be a lot of reading ahead in our Bibles this series. And yet at the same time, are you feeling a little awkward by this? A little surprised by it? Like, is this stuff allowed in the Bible? Should we be talking about this? A lot of people have actually suggested that we shouldn't be talking about it, and neither should God. And so over the years, there's often been people who have de-sexed the book by saying that it's actually about Jesus and the church. And all this other stuff is being used symbolically. Classic example of this from this morning's reading is chapter 1, verse 13, where it says... My lover to me is a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. Now, some commentators have a complete meltdown at that point, and they say that the sachet of myrrh is, in fact, Jesus, because that's one of the gifts he was given when he was a baby. And breasts, well, there's two of them. What are there two of in the Bible? Well, there's, there's an Old and a New Testament. And so what verse 13 is really saying, because it surely cannot be about the pleasure that a girl gets from having her lover's body pressed up against her breast. That's sort of dirty, isn't it? There must be something. Else. It's actually about Jesus. And it's how he links the two testaments, old and new. Now, I'm sorry, that's just silly. I don't know what sort of drugs you've got to be on to get that interpretation, but that is weird. Yes, there are books in the Bible that use uh, symbols. Books like Revelation, bits of Daniel. Those books are very clear in them. They give us very clear indications that we are meant to read them that way. There is nothing in Song of Songs at all to suggest that we've got to look beneath the surface of the text for some other uh, hidden meaning. It reads as poetry. It's linked in its style and its authorship, human authorship, to, the, to wisdom books like, like Proverbs. It does not deal with the great salvation events of Israel. It deals with the everyday world of human relationships. It's a love song. 
And because it's about love, as we will see, there are broad implications and connections to God's love for us. But first and foremost, it's a love song. It's the ultimate love song. It's between two lovers who, for the most part, are blissfully unaware that we are even listening to them. And so what they say to each other, they, they say in the context of intimacy. And they talk about making love. Because making love is a wonderful, powerful, exhilarating, God-given part of being in love with someone. Especially so here in Song of Songs. Because what you've got to appreciate is that this is not two people who have met at a party and decide to go home and sleep with one another. Uh, In fact, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll see that Song of Songs will tell us that that is such a dumb thing to do. Here in Song of Songs, we have two lovers who are unconditionally pledged to each other. We're going to hear about their wedding in chapter 3. But just because this is chapter 1, that doesn't mean they're not married yet. It's a song. It's poetry. There's poetic license. Uh, The chronological order of things is messed around so as to make important truths. But our young lovers are married. And in that context, making love together is truly, madly, deeply and completely good. This is not sex between with someone you hardly know this is love making with your life partner and that is not dirty it's delightful it's intoxicating it's exquisite and it is so different to what hollywood usually dishes up to us i mean you can spot the difference of that in today's reading because yes it opens with them wanting to make love and yes it closes with them having made love but in between what we do not get is some hot and sweaty sex scene like you might get in a Hollywood movie. What we get instead is a movement of these two lovers from desiring each other to describing each other, saying what they love about each other, affirming how special they are to each other. Haven't got time to look at all the things said. Look, look for example, at verse 15. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. In the Old Testament, doves are often used to signify peace and purity and tenderness. And as he looks into her eyes, he tells her that's what he sees. I I love your innocence. I love how gentle you are. She likewise delights in him, verse 16. How handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. Verdant means lush, grassy, leafy. It's as if she's saying that their bed just feels so natural. You're so good looking. You're so adorable. I'm so captivated to you that just lying together in bed just feels so so natural, so right, so good. This is delightful. As we hear our two lovers describing how captivated by each other they are. If you're married, I hope you're doing this. Song of Songs has rebuked me to do it more. But friends, here's the telling point. Because what's distinctive about this describing of one another in this section of the book, it's not just the way they describe each other, because we'll hear that lots and lots of times. What's distinctive about this opening section is especially how the girl describes herself. Look again at verse 6 of chapter 1. Do not stare at me because I'm dark. 
because I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me take care of the vineyards. My, my own vineyard I've neglected. Do not stare at me because I am dark. In other words, this girl was not your conventional beauty at the time. And that's trendy nowadays to have a tan. Not now. Uh, not then, sorry. Dark skin meant that she'd been out in the sun. Sounds like she grew up in a bit of a harsh family, doesn't it? Sounds like she grew up working on the farm. Her skin is weather-beaten. Her appearance is a little neglected. She didn't have the nice pale skin that was so fashionable back then. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 1. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Now, she's actually saying there that she's pretty plain. The lily of the valleys, that's a ve- that was a very common flower. They were everywhere. What she's saying is, look, I'm nothing special. I'm ordinary. I'll never be on the front of a magazine. Recent survey reckons 99% of all women have something about their appearance they don't like. I'm too fat, too short. My legs are a weird shape. Not pretty. To which her lover says, you are to me. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. That's a great verse. Guys, that's a verse to notice. She says, I'm just an ordinary old lily of the valley. He says, you're a lily but every other girl is a thorn compared to you. You are that special. And friends, it is this point that this section of Song of Songs is alerting us to something very important about the nature of love. It's alerting us to the fact that love is so powerful. It will so captivate you with someone that it will completely shape the way you look at them. It will completely shape the way you think about them. It will completely shape the way you deal with them. Got to appreciate this uh, afresh the other day when uh, Sue and Olivia uh, were having this prolonged discussion about the Twilight book series. Now, for those who don't know it, the Twilight book and now movie series, it is a massively popular series all about a love story between two teenagers. Edward and Bella. Now, Edward is a vampire, but more to the point, he completely and utterly adores Bella, hopelessly in love with Bella. Even more to the point is that Edward is impossibly good-looking. According to Bella in book one, Edward's voice is quiet and musical. His laugh is soft and enchanting. His body is slender but firm and muscular. Quote, his dazzling face, friendly and open, with a slight smile on his flawless lips. Page 37. (laughs) Anyway, like most teenage girls who have read the book, uh, Olivia is deeply in love with Edward, so much so that she talks Sue into reading the books as well. So here they are one night, sitting around the lounge room, having this incredibly intense discussion about how truly beautiful Edward is. 
And I'm sitting there and I must have had this sort of glazed look on my face. Uh, so Sue turns to me and she says, but you know, Bryson, you're my Edward. At which point I think Olivia sort of threw up in her mouth a little bit. Because uh, <laughs> clearly I'm not. But Sue meant it. To her, I really am. And she's my Bella. And that's what love does to you. Love will memorise you with someone. Love will honestly transform them in your eyes. Love will change the way you think about them. It will change what you see. Just delightful. Mind you, before we get to the point that Song of Songs wants to get to here, before we move to the lesson that it wants to give us about this truth about love, bear with me with a little aside because maybe, just maybe at this point, all this talk about how powerful love is and how it totally shapes the way you see something, maybe it's actually making some of us here feel a little sad because you might be thinking to yourself, I don't love anyone like that. I don't have anyone who loves me like that. I wish I did have someone who was captivated by me, but I don't. I want to encourage you with the fact that you actually do. It's Jesus. And the danger is to downplay Jesus' love of you because it's not the romantic sexual kind that Hollywood tells us that we've got to have. But in reality, Jesus' love of you is even stronger. And it is exactly the sort of love which shapes what he sees in you. I reckon you see it so clearly at the cross, especially at that unbelievable moment when after all that he has gone through, you know, Jesus has gone through a false arrest, a mock trial, uh, strangers have been getting up, making up lies about him, he's been uh, poked fun at, he's been ridiculed, he's been spat on, he's been flogged, he's had a crown of thorns pressed on his head, he's had nails driven through his hands and legs, and hanging there on the cross, it is still love that totally shapes what he sees. Because hanging there on the cross, he doesn't look out and see so much a bunch of murderers around the cross. He, he actually sees a bunch of victims. And he doesn't see so much their hatred as their confusion. And he looks out and he doesn't see so much an angry mob, but sheep without a shepherd. And with a love that defies description, he cries out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And friends, it is with that exact same love that he looks at us. And he looks into our lives and he looks past our lying and our laziness. He looks past our gossiping and our empire building. He looks past our bad temper and our fantasies. He looks past our selfishness and our play acting. And with a love that defies description, he looks at us and he sees that we are lost. And with a love that defies description, he offers up his life for us. That's love. Please do not ever feel you are not loved. Jesus' love of you transforms how he sees you. It transforms how he thinks of you. It transforms what he has done for you. Song of Songs is telling us that love is very powerful. And in the hands of God, that is thrilling. 
But the lesson that Song of Song is leading us to is that love is so powerful that in our hands, well, we've got to be a little careful with that. Chapter 2, verse 7. And we've reached a very, very important love lesson. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Now, friends, that verse is very much the chorus line in Song of Songs. Those exact words are repeated three times throughout the book. It is just like the chorus of a song. And they're repeated because they're telling us a very important lesson about love. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. In other words, people, I urge you by the very laws of nature. Just look around the way the world works and you will see this. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. In other words, don't force love until it's ready. Don't chase after love. Don't rush after love. Don't be so in love with the idea of being in love. Don't be so afraid of being alone that you actually foolishly rush into love way too fast. Why? Well, every time the chorus gets repeated, there's going to be a whole new reason added why. But here in this first section, the reason we're being told, the reason why is because, because love is just so powerful. This is strong stuff. It is not for the faint-hearted. It is a passion that will all but consume you. It is a passion that will captivate you. It is a passion that will affect how you think and what you see. And you've got to be careful with that. When I was a teenager, the basic sort of Christian sex advice I would get would be the standard line of, you know, don't have sex before you're married. And so if you did have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, the basic rule of thumb is, you know, if, if their body has something that your body doesn't, don't touch it. And so I sort of had this mental image in my head of all these dotted lines all around Sue's body. And I was not allowed to go past those lines until we were married. And because I was a normal boy, I would spend hours thinking about exactly where those lines were and how I could possibly move them along a little bit. And there's sort of wisdom in that. But Song of Songs is actually taking us down a different tack. The advice here is not so much don't cross the line, it's don't rush the time. Don't arouse love too soon. Don't awaken it too early. Because this is heavy-duty stuff. And we're not just talking about the sex side of things. We're talking about the whole emotional package. Love will play with your head. And because we are not perfect, it can cause a lot of damage when we rush into it. And I have seen it time and time and time again. I have seen parents absolutely in despair because their children foolishly link up with a person who is so obviously wrong for them. But love blinds them to that. And they rush into a marriage which often will prove unhappy and difficult. I have seen teenagers who have been emotionally crushed and scarred because they have mistaken what love is and they have rushed into having sex. 
I have seen people who have become liars and cheats. People who have committed adultery, unfaithfulness, immorality because an infatuation has just stopped them from thinking straight. And somehow they convince themselves that a sin is not a sin. I've seen people become traitors to Jesus. People who used to call themselves Christians. But because they have been fearful of being alone, they have rushed into love with a non-Christian. And because love can be so blind and love can be so uh, strong, it has convinced them that they'll be different. This won't jeopardise their loyalty with Jesus. And now they don't come to church. And now they barely give Jesus the time of day. Friends, being in love, it's wonderful. And it's enthralling. Making love is intoxicating. And it's exhilarating. But Song of Songs wants you to know it's strong stuff. It is a passion that will captivate you with another person. It is a passion that will transform how you see them. It's a passion that will shape how you think about them. It is a passion that will define how you treat them. And in the hands of a perfect God, that is thrilling and it leads to wonderful things for us. But in the hands of less perfect people, like you and I, God wants you to know you've got to handle this with care. I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. I'll pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of love. Thank you for its exhilaration for us. Thank you for the gift of making love with our life partners. But Father, thank, thank you also for loving us enough to just warn us about it. Thank you for this word in Song of Songs. Father, as we keep reading through this song, help us to love well and to learn about how to love well. And Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for looking into our lives and seeing us through the eyes of love. Thank you for everything that Jesus went through because of that. Amen.